0: hello and welcome back to the scottish games network podcast this week's a wee bit different we're going a wee bit shorter and we're covering just everything that happened this week in the playaway festival as always we're your hosts i'm ryan and brian and i'm andrew and um, so guys to start off uh, as per usual what have you guys been playing slash watching slash reading doing this week
1: nothing i have lived on zoom yeah. it's and here i am again It's like Groundhog Day. Even my jokes about Groundhog Day are becoming Groundhog Day. It's gone (laughs) meta and not in a good way.
0: What about yourself,
2: Andrew? You've been up to much? No, much the same. Much the same. Just jumping between Zoom calls. But um, I don't know. It's been enjoyable in its own way. I've learned a lot. So I can't really complain about that aspect of it.
0: Well, I... I do have to
1: admit... I'm sorry. I do have to admit that I have been listening to an unholy amount of Mogwai's new album as the love continues. And it is (sighs) wonderful and fingers crossed number one you yeah know, could be their first so i'll, good I'll luck need guys. to
0: get around to that no i haven't listened to it yet brian's nodding like yes do it um well i recently got but i recently decided to get back into uh, comic books um you know after speaking to ali which we'll get into later i suppose yeah, on the channel, we, uh, I kind of went, uh, I really love reading, but yeah, my thing that holds me back is, like, being dyslexic, sometimes pacing can should be totally ruined. Like, you know, if someone, like, bursts into a room with urgency, and then, like, the book describes the room, it feels to me, because my reading pace is so slow, and I stutter over words it seems like, you know, they kick the door open and just stand in the doorway for five minutes. And then they continue doing what they're doing. So comic books are really good for that because it just cuts it down straight to dialogue, which is really handy. And I've been reading comic books, like, in between Zoom calls and stuff. I'll be taking out, like, a trade paperback and just reading, like, one one issue and then being like, okay, the break's over, put it down, right, notepad out and keep going. Um, and I'm currently reading uh, Iron Man Extremis, which was what... Uh, Iron Man 3 was partially based on, so you know like all the sort of people that had fiery powers and stuff, mm-hmm. That they took that part of, um, they took that from Extremis and tried to also put in the Mandarin for some reason, but the book itself is really good, so I recommend picking it up, you can get it quite cheap now because it's been out for a good wee while. It's,
1: I've not looked at an Iron Man book for such a long time, it's, a uh... Yeah, no, that's a good call. That's a good call. As as somebody who grew up with Asterix and Tintin, uh, I think I absolutely should be getting back into more comic books. I think it'll help, you know, cement my street cred with, you know, young people and the
2: kids.
0: Yeah, especially Tintin. Well, do you know, it's funny you should mention (laughs) Tintin. That was actually my nickname in school because I was ginger and had a quiff. So uh, I can see it. I did it to myself. (laughs) I can totally see it that's a part, absolutely there was, there was...
1: yeah no that's absolutely what we you know okay it's consider yourself with a new nickname right
0: well um <laughs> I, i've got again, you've done it to yourself again i shouldn't have brought it up but um i, I kind of leaned into it and then like by the time i left school when we all got leavers hoodies we were asked like what name do you want on the back of it and you know i got Tintin.
1: i have literally nothing to add to that <laughs> It's I was a, gonna... it, obviously, apart from the fact that I hope you also wore plus fours. Plus plus four. I don't yeah, know. Tintin, you... Tintin wore plus fours. Do you guys oh. not even know what plus four? What sort of?
0: Plus <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry, Brian.
1: <laughs> it's the trousers that end at sort of mid calf. Oh, you
0: know, with your socks
1: uh... pulled up. I what
0: the? Oh, I have have called you them be
2: Tintin? I heard that they're. There was like some rumor about there being another Tintin film. Like there was that animated one. What like
0: I really liked ten that. years ago. That or Something a, that yeah. was a solid film. I'd like to see a sequel of that.
2: I remember oh, people God at the me. time saying the the game based on it was like actually all right as well. Like like published by
0: Ubisoft. I don't know who developed it, but a movie tie in game that was actually competent that isn't Spider Man yeah. 2.
2: Well, I think they were doing okay. like an Uncharted type cover based shooter thing.
0: Oh. <laughs> 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 the Tintin tin, gritty reboot. Yeah. yeah well,
2: they tin made tin Harry Potter a cover-based
0: shooter, so they can begin with a cover shooter. Oh, that is true. They did, <laughs> didn't they? That was pretty bad, though, wasn't it? That was received poorly. I don't know. It, oh, well. As
1: part of some of the uh, part of some of the lectures that I've I've given at Napier, I I used to use uh, the EA games as great examples of how to do licenses badly, and you know I would use. Um, James Bond from Russia with Love, and Lord of the Rings, and Harry Potter, and sort of show identical gameplay in each and every single one. The only thing that changed was the weaponry. Harry had a wand, Legolas had a bow and arrow, and James Bond had a shotgun in that way that he did. Never. Um, his iconic weapon,
0: the shotgun. (laughs)
1: Yeah, you know. Remember when he kicked open the door and wasted a room full of Russian soldiers?
0: So anyway, yeah, this was meant to be the playaway special, and it's become movie tie-in games. <laughs> oh well, uh, we have
1: we have some ideas for that for the site, so watch this space.
0: Definitely. Um, so um, yeah, main body of our topic today is uh, yeah the playaway festival. So let's start off. What have you guys been watching? I think Andrew, you've probably seen the most. I, I don't know if that's true.
2: But I've definitely seen a few. Um, so, what, what have I seen? Um, the, the thing that I spent all day yesterday watching was all of the game studies and games research stuff. Um, but I also watched something on the first day as well, which I'm going to remember.
1: So, Jane, Right, Jane, yeah,
2: caught the end of that.
1: And then there was the game design panel with Shay Thompson, John McKellen, and uh, Mac- yes. McKellen from No Code. And uh, Dan and Mal, it was, that was wonderful. And then there was a, a fabulous, fabulous panel on Tuesday about gaming for health, education, and wellbeing, which we'll come back to.
0: <laughs> I was just gonna say, how was Jane's uh, talk? Cause I didn't, yeah. I wasn't able to make it to it. So do you guys want to tell us a little bit about that?
1: Inspiring, inspirational, wonderful, um, eclectic and wise. You know, Jane is one of the best game thinkers that we have um, because she kind of really looks at ways of taking the notion of playful thinking and and imaginative um, solutions to problems that nobody's ever considered and bringing them to life um, without ever using the dreaded word gamification. So some of the projects that she's worked on from Superbetter um, all the way through to, to the work that she did with the New York Public Library, you know, which was essentially co-writing a book with 500 people. And she got them into the the, the vaults underneath the library, the archives, and they hand bound their co-written book um, in the medieval style. And it's now part of the uh, the rare books collection. So there are 500 people who can go into New York Public Library, uh, into the vaults and say, that's my book. And it's just lovely so cool. you know it's such exactly you know it's not how can we make you know how can we throw more polygons around the screen or how can we jam more people into this this gorefield's um death fest? it's a really different way of thinking about playing and absolutely absolutely loved it yeah you know, i was trying hard not to type squee in the chat pretty much every time <laughs> she made a good point so um as an opening to such a, a a fabulous festival, I thought it was, you know, bang on.
0: Kicking off with a bang. Very much so. Um, and then, yeah, later on in the day, there was another talk. Of, yeah.
1: yeah, we had a, we had a game yeah, design, the design
0: one. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you want to
1: mm-hmm. pick this one up, Andrew?
2: Yeah, um, I mean, it, it was absolutely terrific, despite the fact that I, I couldn't remember it. And um, so it was with uh, John from No Code and then there was Dan Pinchbeck, the guy from the Chinese Room, Chinese room who made, yeah, uh, everyone comes to, everyone comes, everyone's going to the Rapture uh, and uh D-Rester, things like that. And then Mal, Malathabas from Biome Collective. And they were all, they are all kind of have different interesting backgrounds as far as game design is concerned because neither, well, John is the most kind of typical in that he came from the kind of industry background, but they're all coming at game design from different perspectives. So, Mal's kind of in the the art world and the kind of avant-garde, experimental um, exhibition art kind of space. Dan came through theater, and then John is very much approaching it from a kind of film and television influenced perspective. So, they had some uh, just lots and lots of really interesting things to say about I guess taking influence and design from other places and pushing at the edges of the the medium by you know being able to push games forward by specifically focusing on these spaces in between where it's not quite a game and it's not quite something else it's kind of in that middle space um, and it was just just fascinating stuff uh, really. did you did you catch any of it Brian?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was there throughout, and um, you know, the the, the chair, Shay Thompson, also has some really interesting perspectives on games and yes. game design. And you're, you're absolutely right. It's the areas of um, intersection and convergence where we're really starting to see some fantastically clever and creative approaches to gaming you know uh, mal and the biome collective did killbox which was their installation experiential piece where you play a us drone pilot who's taking out a village and then you play a child in that village you know it, it it's confrontational it's um forcing you to think about things in a very different way. And especially in the last couple of weeks where we've had the announcement that we've now got the uh, Six Days in Fallujah game coming back, you know, resurrected based on real-world events, but with quite a, how do we put this, a a gung-ho Call of Duty approach to, hey, war, never been so much fun, Um, but without the charming, whimsical, fictional aspects of, of cannon fodder that's another culture reference for you guys to look up after um i thought it was wonderful i thought it was wonderful and again it really kind of emphasized where games is is innovating where we're seeing some of the most pioneering work and it's not necessarily in the mainstream um and for me this is this has been one of the most fascinating aspects of the whole festival and it's exploring those those intersections and exploring those areas of convergence so uh, I I thought it was a great first day
0: um and then of course on day 2 we had our very own Brian Baglow chairing a panel um now uh, we could you know open the floor and all discuss it but I feel like to start with Brian you should definitely tell us what it was about and what went down
1: well, okay, I'll do a quick intro, but then I know that you were both there. So we are going to be asking questions just to make sure you were paying attention. Of course. So Absolutely. yeah, I, I was I was on a panel um, with Claire from Civic Digits, Elena from uh, uh, Yaldi Games, Carla from Game Doctor and Max from Glitchers. And I mean, first things first, what an incredible panel. Um, people who are, you know, like the game design panel we were just mentioning coming from very, very different directions and looking at gaming in terms of its impact on uh, well-being and mental health and uh, education you know so uh, Claire is working with Civic Digits they're the, a theatre company who are really working at the intersection of the real and the virtual and she had some fantastic projects to talk about Elena uh, her game Yaldi is working on its first title Wholesome Out and About which combines digital gameplay with getting out into the real world and foraging and crafting and cooking wonderful stuff and um, Carla we love at the scottish games network because her company game doctor is all about public health interventions but with a gaming focus and uh, they're currently working on remedy quest their first game looking at uh, the quest for vaccination for covid um, and then finally we had max from glitchers and max his uh, company produced a game called Sea Hero Quest, uh, which uses spatial navigation to help uh, provide indicators of um, the potential for dementia, which is mind-blowing, and and in the interests of disclosure, I I actually worked with the company who was pulling this together and looking at this as a potential area way back in, I think it was 2015, 16. And so I threw a whole lot of companies their way, Glitchers not being one of them, you know, because they were not in Scotland at that time. So, you know, not part of my my fiefdom, Uh, but it's a fantastic project and has produced untold, you know, riches in terms of the amount of clinical data it's providing to researchers. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're now following that up with a financial education game, Nestlings and Nestlums, which we're looking forward to finding out more about and then their cool driving game, Drive-By. So it was phenomenal. And it was just a really freewheeling discussion looking at um, their projects, their backgrounds, how they got into this, and why they're coming at gaming from a different angle rather than just mere entertainment. So, you know, okay, I was cheering it, but I was trying discreetly to take notes and, and, you know, make little bullet points so I can follow things up with all of these guys. Um, Especially Claire, because I think the convergence between the digital world and performing arts is is one that we're gonna to have to push and explore as we try to build our way back out of the COVID world. So I'm really looking forward to finding out more about their their next project and see if we can
0: do anything to help them. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to me when um games and medicine sort of come together. I think it's such a fascinating topic. Like you know what you're saying about uh, having a game that can sort of spot the early signs of dementia and I not developed in Scotland so slightly off topic but I remember a few years ago hearing about a game I think it was called something like Sale or Flow. I think it was called Flow. And the idea was it was people it was for people with anxiety. And the idea is like yeah, like in anxiety issues where like you could if you felt like a panic attack coming on, um it was designed that you could open it up and like the the music and like the idea that you had to focus on this sort of very basic task would help prevent panic attacks and i always think it's really interesting applying games technology to something like that and i think things like that often sort of like are the biggest example of like countering that thing like that sort of stigma of all video games that's just you know you you drive uh, you sort of drive around killing people and shoot up you know like People online and stuff, and it's like, well, no, like, there is so much more to it, and that, like, I think when when we can apply games technology to something very practical, like, yeah, like spotting early signs of dementia, it a furthers, you know, like sort of gaming's credibility, but b it just helps an awful lot of people.
1: I mean, nothing engages like video games, and it doesn't have to be used purely for you know passing the time. Um, you can build up real world skills. This is the whole point of what uh, Jane McGonigal has been doing for years. How do we gather this collective willingness to participate and carry out virtual tasks and harness it for good? Uh, so it's a, it's an area I'm absolutely fascinated by. But so what were, what were the kind of key takeaways for you guys, you know, coming at maybe, you know, with not quite such a nerdy interest? <laughs>
2: Um, something I appreciated from it was, again, a little like the, the last one was just the sheer range of backgrounds and odd paths into, into the positions that they were in. So, for instance, we had Claire, Claire who, who came specifically from being studying science and things before and then transitioning into, into games. But um, I was really interested in Elena from Yaldi, her path because she, she seemed to come at it from ba- more of a kind of business side, right? That she was, she was always interested in games when she was younger, but she didn't specifically go into that into kind of development course in terms of um, study. And then got this kind of funding through the Creative Bridge had kind of learned some of the game design tools herself and then and then kind of has found her way into, I mean, you'll know more about this than me, Brian, but that, that sounded like the path to me, which is like such a, you know, you can kind of come at this your own way, essentially, um, and make something that, the thing that she's making, this, this game that kind of combines her interests in foraging and crafting and these kind of like very analog, um, creative things, it's like such a unique and personal kind of uh, kind of thing to be doing. Like, it's, it's the kind of thing that if you were already in a game studio, probably you're not going to think about, I'm going to make a game about picking up mushrooms, but you're kind of coming out from the outside. You have your idea. It was fascinating to me.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Um, and I think the way she's approaching it has been very, very clever. You know, she had the concept, she had the idea, but she's building a business you know she's gone through creative bridge yeah. she won the converge challenge and um, you know she's picked up a reasonable amount of money because she's pushing this forward as a business as a paying proposition yeah. you know it's not just i have an idea i want to make something i i'm going to make it regardless and then at the end of the, the creation process go okay now what so you know yeah. i think that it's a uh, a very clever way of approaching things and I think a large part of why she's doing that is because she's not coming from a, a technical background, you know, she, and it, okay. and you're right, it, you don't have to be a programmer, a developer, uh, an artist to make a game now, you know, the tools are out there, it's, they're freely available to anyone who wants to use them, um, we're not short of people with technical skills or indeed creative skills but we are short of people who are good at business. And so I, I really, really want this, this game to succeed. I think it's got a fantastic chance. I know an awful lot more about what she's doing in the background. I've been kind of helping out a little bit with some advice and introductions. So yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, by this time next year, we're talking about the huge success that a uh, Wholesome Out and About has achieved in the global marketplace. And we'll all, eat, we'll all meet up outdoors and, you know, pick some mushrooms
0: speaking about uh different paths into games and like people approaching it from different ways that seemed to be a major takeaway from yesterday's uh games research i mean i know i'm just i'm that good brian's giving me a wee okay sign and yeah what a transition um <laughs> but yeah like this sort of idea of being able to approach games research from any sort of angle as well is really cool we had Gabe, who we've had on the channel and podcast, who came from a sort of literature standpoint. We had a couple of people who came from psychology, a gra- uh, graphic communications, you know, like programming. Like, we had loads of different people from like, a variety of different backgrounds, all doing very different things, but still being games researchers. Like, it's such a broad term, and it's such a new and exciting topic that we... Yeah, like, we I think we've mentioned it on the podcast before, though we're really needing to tap into and talk about more
1: absolutely absolutely and it, you know it's it's a really brave move for a, a festival in its first year to have you know more or less an entire day you know it was 11 30 to 4 o'clock of of back-to-back you know researchers and and looking at such a broad range of areas again to to just repeat what you just said right it's fascinating. there's so many different approaches, there are so many different takes on this and so many um, areas which are directly relevant to us as gamers, to us as developers, to us as the you know the media, I thought drilled down into an area that is far too often overlooked when it comes to video games events.
0: Do you know, um, we, like, um, I think we'll just end up sort of speaking about various people that spoke throughout the day, but I think I want to start with William Kavanaugh because A, we had him on the website, uh, brilliant article written by, I believe it was our very own Andrew Go- uh, Andrew Gordon. Uh, yeah, yeah, this just saying yeah, I think it was. <laughs> and um, yeah, like, since I wasn't in the call when you guys interviewed him, it was really interesting to actually hear him talking about what he's doing. And it was really interesting that you added this bit from... Someone asked a question, and he added in that games balancing doesn't, like, isn't just, like, a uniform blanket thing. You don't just balance for, like... Let's say you're making the next Mortal Kombat. You don't just balance so, like, like, you know, the top-level players will... can pick up any character and just play. You've got to balance it in, in such a way that there are characters that are, as he put it, just good at punching. You know, you don't need to be good at, like, combos or whatever. You can just pick up one character and be like, oh, I get what I'm doing here. But then that character can be countered with something from, like, a different skill level where someone is using combos or whatever. And, like, trying to adjust so... Yeah, almost anyone can pick up and play. It almost reminds me, in a really weird way, and my dad's a golfer, and it reminds me of the handicap system. If you get what I mean? Like, sure. the idea that, like, yeah, anyone awesome. can play against anyone else, and because of that, we like, because of the handicap system, you're on, like, a level playing field. And the idea of what he's doing is almost adding that to video games, and it's really cool.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, again... And like so many of the other areas of the game studies, um, of game studies that was discussed yesterday, it's it's taking something that was a bit of a black heart or a bit of a, you know, a, a, something that was based on gut instinct and play testing and, you know, really producing a different way of, of providing quantifiable balancing and, and doing something, you know, introducing scientific rigor to an area that was more or less made up um, and it's one of these areas, you know, games is still the youngest sort of media type out there. It's only really been an industry for the last 30 odd years. And so much of it is, has changed in the last 5, 6, 10 years because of the constant evolution of technology. You know, the introduction of, of mobile, it's the opening of the app store, the, you know, the, the evolution of the app markets have completely changed people's approach to games, the audience for games, and, you know, has forced new business models, new revenue streams, new ways of working, and new ways of interacting with each other. So, again, I think all of the speakers that we had yesterday are doing incredibly valuable work, and it's, it's helping the industry evolve. You know, it's racing ahead in commercial terms and sometimes in you know creative terms, but you know we're we're playing catch up on the on the scientific rigor side of things. So I found it really really gratifying that there are so many people out there, and you know Glasgow's not the only university doing this. You know, we'd love to hear from the, the people at Abertay, at Napier, UWS, GCU, whoever's out there studying games or in the field of game studies, come and talk to us because we want to find out more about what you're up to.
0: We started off with um, the PhD students, I believe they were, uh, and we had Francis Butterworth-Parr, who was speaking about uh, metaphors in games. Like Yeah, like, and what the, like they can provide. Does anyone want to cover that? It, it, it was tricky, but the, the thing that I found most fascinating about it
2: was that we've had this conversation um, about... You know the the link between the right wing and and kind of what we saw before in Gamergate and this kind of thing and obviously nobody thinks that that that, that Gamergate is the start of Trumpism or something it's like part of the same continuum but it's not like you know like it's not like Gamergate caused Trump- Trumpism but the thing that he was talking about was that the way that the right wing is and and that kind of part of you know that kind of community communicates is in games language like these are people who who play who play games who that's part of the way that they communicate online you know like on on 4chan or something like that and he his kind of thought on that is that we need to look at games and discover kind of if they are if there's something about the the kind of communities that they build that is something that comes from there and is something we can do something about or what is good uh, behaviour that's encouraged and what's bad behaviour encouraged and stuff like that and you know there's all sorts of opinions you can have about this you can say you know it's nothing to do with that it's about the people who come to it etc etc but either way it's certainly worth studying I would say that was my 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 big takeaway from his stuff
1: yeah very much so you know it's there is there's an elephant in the room when it comes to gaming and it's the fact that there is uh, an overwhelming sense of privilege in some parts of the gaming community. Um, There's a toxicity that kind of came to a head with Gamergate, and it needs to be addressed. You know, we we can't just say, oh, well, it kind of died down and it's all gone away. We know that it hasn't. You know, there are still people out there who are harassing and bullying and doxing and swatting and doing really, really awful things to other people simply because of who they are, where they come from, their gender, their sexuality, ethnic background, whatever it happens to be, right? Gaming should be an inclusive, welcoming welcoming place. You know, the Scottish Games Network is a signatory of the Raise the Game Pledge, which is we will do our best to reflect more accurately the society that we live in, not only in the makeup of our teams, but in the games that we produce, excuse me, that we produce. And and I firmly believe that it's an issue that has to be addressed. So having a researcher out there who's looking at this and, and looking at the ways in which this is reflected within the games and, and you know, the communities themselves, I think is, is incredibly valuable.
0: So we had a handful of other students that, uh, that spoke. Kirsty Dunlop spoke about merging hybrid creative thinking and new media uh, and spoke about, like, what hybrid form was and essentially the idea of, like, a piece of media that th- presents itself as one thing but is actually multiple. So the idea of like a book that is also an essay or a video game that is potentially more of a sort of poem, you know, and it's sort of te- like, you know, telling a poetic story. Um, like It's quite an interesting field in itself. What do you guys think about that?
2: well i i would say that the, the thing that she said she had a quote and
0: i i don't remember the quote
2: verbatim, uh, um, unfortunately but the gist of it was that the, the the idea is that these hybrid forms allow you to say something that you wouldn't be able to say otherwise you know it's very much like the medium is the message thing it's by exploring this kind of new form you can say something new that hasn't been said before and i think that's like a huge huge part of the way that people talk about video games as well right that it's because it's this kind of emerging form that we're still working at and we're still shaping it gives you all these opportunities to kind of portray experiences and ideas that you couldn't otherwise so i think it's very linked in there this looking at stuff that's been done as you said like in in weird essay forms and experimental literature and stuff like that is totally applicable to the stuff in games as well
1: i couldn't agree more yeah it, it's it kind of reflects back on what we were saying about the Games for Health and, and, and well-being panel that I chaired. Um, games can be so much more than just entertainment. And even the games which are designed for entertainment can do far more than just fill in some time. You know, you can you can tell stories, you can convey meaning, you can do a huge amount. It's just that, as, as you said earlier, Ryan, we kind of have this perception in the UK that games equal digital toys, therefore kids, therefore they cannot have mature content. They cannot have any additional meaning beyond the, you know, the, the headshots. And, you know, there are a lot of games that are big, dumb fun, and there's nothing wrong with that. But again, it's just so fascinating to hear people who are exploring these different areas and, and the different ways in which games can impact us as, you know, the audience, but also as the developers, the creators, you know, the, the practitioners who want to do something beyond the conventional.
0: Yeah, um, going back to what you were saying about like, Big dumb Fun being okay, it's, yeah, you couldn't, You can, I don't think people can judge video games and be like, oh they are just that, when film, you know, The Expendables and Citizen Kane are the same medium. uh, But they set out to do totally different things, and that's okay. You know, yes, The Expendables is a popcorn flick, and you sit in, you enjoy, like, all the big explosions and people shooting guns and, like, the one-liners and the clips. And that's fun, it's enjoyable, you can sit and watch it on, like, a Sunday afternoon, have a good laugh. But then at the same time, you have movies like Citizen Kane that ask questions about morality and, you know, shine a light on the negative sides of the human condition. And both are totally fine and totally you know valid in their own way but we can't like you can't say that the we can only have one or the other the idea of limiting a medium to just one thing is ri- ridiculous you know um no well, in that case it's not a medium yeah you know
1: it's you you were talking about comic books earlier you know when when watchmen first came out people were amazed that it could tell such a a, a story focusing on the human condition in a world of superheroes without the capes and the hammers and the you know metal armor and you're right pretty much every medium out there can aspire to the condition of art you know literature music film television performing arts visual arts fine art everything video games exists within this continuum you know in this whole wide wide range of uh media that we as a a society can enjoy so i'm all for the fact that we have big dumb video games and we have you know exquisite hearty heart breaking games like that dragon cancer and new forms of narrative like dear esther i more of that kind of thing please you know including you know the 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 big dumb fun again rage 2 i'm i'm just really enjoying zooming around the desert and splatting things there's nothing wrong with that but that doesn't mean that there's no space for the more thoughtful, thought provoking pieces. And indeed, you know, puzzles featuring tapeworms.
0: Exactly that. Um, <laughs> yeah, like I was about to just say, like, you know To Kill a Mockingbird's a book. But do you know what else is a book? The Mr. Men series. You know, like there's you know, like there's room to move, you know, within a medium, Important and I think, lessons to be learned
2: from the Mr. Men.
0: I mean, you know, you can learn an awful lot. Like, you know we can shape ourselves we should all aspire to be mr tickle and it's that simple actually no no we shouldn't no please st- yeah, no okay
1: possibly the worst yeah. example you could have chosen ryan
0: yeah don't don't molest people um uh, right anyway <laughs> anyway it's, swiftly it's the on
1: games on. network disclaimer <laughs> it's like don't listen
0: to ryan yeah don't listen to ryan when he's freeballing and trying to name a mr man and all of it's them okay, go- but-
1: we're loving the chat, but but no no, Mr. Tickle is not necessarily the example that you want to choose. The
0: only one I could think of at the time was Mr. Tickle. Uh can, Brian, you've you've got a you've got a kid. I've can got you the name entire it? collection. Yeah. Please it's name all, a more aspi- Like aspirational Mr. Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Bounce. Mr. Bounce, there we go.
1: For the plain and simple reason that back when video games gave you eight characters for your username, it's I chose Mr. Bounce. Um, So I was Mr. Bounce for the first 10 years of this century when playing video games. So there you go. That's why you should be Mr. Bounce, but not in video games, because that's
0: me. We're we're growing nicknames this episode, apparently. So next week we'll have, you know, this is the Scottish Games Network podcast brought to you by Tintin, Mr. Bounce, and now we should need one for Andrew.
2: By the end of this episode, we'll have one. Oh, 100%. Uh,
0: The next uh, talk was by... Monica uh, and it was about sort of VR and um, I think it was called the never ending immersion and I really enjoyed this essentially she was speaking about um is, like, your VR self and what you sort of would what what you're going to portray or what you portray in like a virtual reality space It's just as much of you as like yourself in the real world and she spoke about like what is immersion and she broke it down into the virtual gaze, virtual space, and virtual self. Just for brevity, I'm pretty sure that Playaway are um, go- going to be uploading these talks at some point. They recorded all of them, so I reckon we'll leave that. Like the people that spoke about these things to discuss it because they'll definitely cover it better than we will. Especially considering I scribbled down notes. Yeah, I think we'll co- we'll cover that a wee bit more in the future. But the idea of who you choose to portray yourself as is just as much yourself as what we are like you know behind closed doors is quite an interesting idea and like it's a philosophy that's date- like that dates back you know i remember hearing something about like we have three masks you know the, idea- the one that we show the world the one we show our close friends and family and then the one we show ourselves And I feel like this is an expand like the idea of like VR and who we are in the virtual space is almost an expansion of that.
1: The the whole the whole question of digital identity and who you play in games has been around since you know the the very very beginning. You know, famously in arcades, when they had a high score, it's they they only chose three letters because it stopped you leaving your your identity as a four-letter word, and people would just do swears. You know, as soon as you could start picking a character, as soon as you could start customizing a character you've been able to portray yourself in different ways so gaming in a lot of ways pioneered the issue that we're having we're finding in social media which is on the internet nobody knows you're a dog so we are still dealing with this and, and it's an issue that's going to come to an into sharp focus later this year because we now have the information commissioner's office have produced their age-appropriate design guidelines um this is now a law so you're going to have to look after your players you're going to have to look after your community you're going to have to make some tough decisions about the features that you introduce into your gaming if you have any kind of online component and it's the onus is now on, on developers and publishers and creators to think about how people are going to portray themselves within games, how they're going to be able to interact and what their level of moderation and curation and you know protecting their players from harm, and creating a, a stable and safe environment. Um, and so I think this is, again, massively encouraging that we've got people out there looking at these issues in different ways. Because it's something that the, the sector is going to have to proactively address unless it's going to have legislation imposed upon it. And, you know, we're, we as a, an industry are not famous for taking a proactive and adult approach to the issues that are being uncovered by the evolution of games. So, yeah, I, I find the whole, the whole thing, again, fascinating and a great exploration of, of a different take on this issue.
0: Yeah I think the main takeaway from this podcast is when when all the playaway talks go live like go live and you can watch them back definitely do so if you didn't catch them the first time round. they're well worth a watch. Now we only have one more talk from the uh, PhD students and that was Preserving Games uh, by Lauren Watson. Now we were speaking about this a wee bit before the show so do you guys want to kick off and we'll just jump in from there? I mean, yeah. It
2: sounded like you, you you were the most interested in it, so by all oh, means, I mean, please.
0: Yeah, no, of course, no problem. Um, so I really I I found it fascinating because I'd never really thought about it. Like we've all played an emulator or yeah played a port or a, you know like whatever of a game, but the like the idea of preserving video games in the same way that we preserve film and books and you know all that. It's like in music, it's quite it's quite interesting because uh, Lauren proposed the idea that. Like, if, like, you know, video games are a bit more complex than just preserving, like, the celluloid of, we mentioned Citizen Kane earlier. Like, you know, that it's a bit more difficult than that, because do we preserve the initial experience, or do we preserve the code that was released to start with? Um, and they showed uh, Metal Gear Solid to start with, and in, uh, in PlayStation 1, you only had a limited amount of colours to, uh, to use so developers would kind of blend colors to create like gradients and to create different uh, colors that weren't available and on CRT monitors that looked relatively smooth whereas if you look at it on a HD TV it doesn't it looks blocky and so People have sort of came up with uh, with ways of smoothing out those textures and making them look the way they did on CRT monitors, but then there's an argument that we shouldn't preserve that because that isn't the original code, and it's almost like a remix of what the original was. However, others would argue that what you're wanting to do instead is preserve that remix, if you will, because it presents what the game looked like initially and what it felt like initially. So it's, it's a really interesting idea that I'd never thought about at all. I'd never even considered, like, yeah, how do we preserve games?
1: It's a very, very interesting area, and it's one that is becoming more and more relevant as time goes on because so many of the devices that you needed to play early video games you know, are no longer commercially available. And there's a whole other side to this, the, the notion of abandonware and greyware. Um, so if I bought a copy of the original Lemmings, you know but the discs degraded or my Amiga broke and um, I still I still have you know I have the discs let's see um I should still be able to play it so and I like to play it on an emulator and there's a a really big gap in the video game sector we don't have a long tail like you do in music or you do in cinema you, you do in film and um, you can go and buy the, you know, the movies created by the Lumière brothers, Melier and watch them on, you know, 4K on your on your flat screen TV. Um, you can listen to albums from the birth of music, you know, with Delta Blues and everything going way back to the, the beginning of the, the, the 20th century. Um, but in games, we don't have that kind of, that legacy. You know, games fall out of um, existence. And so the publishers still own the intellectual property. Presumably, they've still got the source code somewhere, but it's just sitting there in limbo. And nothing happens with it. So do the players have the right to emulate it? do does the the industry have a responsibility, you know to to keep it safe? And there are a few uh, archive and and preservation projects going on around the world, um, including the the UK National Video game Museum. But it's, it's something that I've been looking at. If you go to the Scottish Games Network website and you have a look at the company directory, scroll all the way down to the bottom, you've got the, sort of the, the sadly missed and dearly departed list of all the companies who are no longer active. And just going through them, you can see so many studios who produced, you know, by my own count, in some cases dozens, in some cases hundreds, of video games that you can no longer play. You know, my, um, our friends at Denki, uh, pioneered the uh, the online interactive TV games for Sky when you press the red button, and and they, f- they did over a hundred. If you have a look at their Wikipedia page, you'll you'll see a, a big big list. Who should preserve them? Because you know they did them for Sky. Are Sky preserving them? Possibly not. You know who? How do we how do we do this? How do we build you know something that that's a legacy outside pirated main games you know, in arcade ROMs that you can download from, from dodgy sites. it There has to be a better way to do this. But as an industry, we're incredibly poor at asking these questions. So again, I find the whole the whole topic itself deeply, deeply fascinating. And, and I find um, the approach to it really, really interesting. So I would love to find out more about where we can take this.
0: Yeah, like I can't wait to see what, the, what uh, Lauren's end result is. And I'd love to read through that if it's made available, which would be really cool. So, the next couple of things that came up was Ruth Booth and William Cavanaugh both uh, chaired panels. Now, do you guys want to talk a wee bit about those two? Uh, Because, like we said, this was meant to be a shorter episode, but it's it's making its way into a regular size. So, um, (laughs) we're going to... I think we'll sort of try and merge these two panels together and just discuss, like, kind of overview what both of them said and then point you in the direction of the PlayAway Festival, so you can watch them yourself. So to start with, it was uh, Ruth Booth's panel. That was with, well, I'm trying to read my own ha- handwriting here. Char- uh, Charlie Harbord, Gabe Elvery, and Arthur... I think it's Ellinger. That's exactly it, yes. All had some really interesting stuff to say. Uh, do you guys want to sort of cover some of that?
2: Yeah. Um, well, speaking of speaking of Toy Story, uh, Charlie had a Toy Story background going on, uh, in, in there behind them and their thing, your thing reminded me of that. But um, so they are uh, they're at the University of Alberta doing research, and they had like a background in um, languages. They, they studied Mandarin and had been using RPGs to kind of teach mandarin and teach english as a second language and their thing was saying that um they had gotten so much from living abroad and uh learning about other cultures that they felt um that they had a kind of obligation to you know promote scottish culture and celtic culture and the Gaelic language so they started this initiative called the celted otter and um, which is All about using kind of games to preserve uh, Celtic heritage and to kind of help uh, promote Gaelic essentially so it's someone we didn't get too i think the kilted otter is kind of in the early stages of its initiative uh, but it's definitely something that i think we're probably going to be very interested in yeah in i am, i've about
0: got this. a note at the bottom of my my bit about this panel that just says talk to charlie about kilted otter and her um, sort of rpg she's making because that was really interesting and i might be mistaken here but what I what I took away from it was the RPG she's making is working in both Mandarin and English. However, mm-hmm. she uh, they're developing it so you can drop in other languages in other. Is that right? Was so it could
2: be potentially modular. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So the idea is like it could expand and sort of be playable to everyone, uh, which is really cool. And I I want to speak to her about that and see what you know what comes of that
1: again so much great work going on out there and what charlie's doing it she's looking at a series of game jams um, aimed at indigenous cultures including gallic and and again it's not an area that really gets gets looked at so she's already talking to MG alba and born the gallic and, and and a lot of the organizations keeping the gallic culture the gallic language alive across scotland but she's also looking globally out into other indigenous cultures around the world with a specific view of getting creativity through a short you know game jam type experience and, and and bringing those cultures into the world of gaming I mean hats off it's an amazing initiative and again if we can help to support it we absolutely will
0: yeah um, and Arthur had a really interesting point of view as well to do with like live streaming uh, music and sort of what that means for changing the medium of listening to live music and you know obviously with the the pandemic happening it's really helped his research uh, coincidentally the way that now everyone's started doing live stream music but he proposed the idea that the chances are we'll get to a point where gigs are not only like a, a venue full of people but also people watching from their home Via live stream, which was really cool, and I never, I never thought about that. You know, when I've been listening to music. Speaking of which, um, big shout out to the play uh, the playaway guys or the Tinderbox guys even for entertaining us in between the panels and talks. That was really cool, and some really good music came from that.
1: So, just but, for anyone who's uh, not been to Playaway yet, it, it's worth saying that. So, Tinderbox Collective are primarily focused on music, or they have done until the, the Playway Festival. And so at the start of every session, and to close out every session, we've had some of the incredibly talented artists and performers who are part of the collective um, giving us a wee song, which is a completely yeah. charming way to start and end what would otherwise be yet one more Zoom call in your calendar. And, and it really does help to break the ice, it helps bring people together. Um, and I've found the not only their organization, the fact that there are so many facilitators and, you know, people from the collective there for every session, but it's it's just adding to the whole charm of the thing.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting the idea of a video game and music festival. So merging those two is really cool. And the idea that, yeah, a panel starts and finishes and instead of everyone go like, you know, if this was in person, instead of being told, Okay, now you need to naff out nap off out of this room so we can set up for the next one it you know, a musician comes on and plays for a wee while and they spoke about that yesterday in between the panels, about how hopefully next year we can have a proper like, in-person playaway festival and it'd be really interesting to see how that happens and that'd be really cool and potentially another uh, SGN outing which would be fun. We seem to have a, think, long that, <laughs> a long list of these. A long group. I think
2: that apologies. Yeah, I'm still not used to this. Um, I keep talking to everybody I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> Don't worry um, about
2: it. I think that relationship that you're talking about, the kind of cross-pollination between the music and the games specifically, like Arthur's research is a perfect example of that because he was saying that, I mean, the reason that he's on this game studies panel is that there's so much writing already about live streaming and games because it's such a huge important thing with Twitch and games is pioneering with that. But obviously that's also relevant to concerts and things like that. And people over there haven't really been studying it so much because it hasn't been a problem until now. So now the musician academia site is going to games because they've already created this huge wealth of research. So, I mean, that's like a perfect example of like, why it's so important to have this kind of um, discussion between the different sectors because we've got so much knowledge to share with each other, like learning from each other and stuff. Yeah, could and why it's good to have a festival that's both music and games?
0: Yeah, I mean Couldn't the perfect, more. perfect space. Now we do need a video games and film festival, and you know, video games and book festival, and we're all good.
1: Well, believe it or not, just before we uh, we came on the call, I published a story on the Scottish Games Network about Vision Scotland, which is the uh, the country's first screen sector. Um, Expo, which is uh, has been rescheduled back to September this year, Uh, but they're focusing on screen in its broadest possible sense. So film, television, animation, advertising, visual effects and video games. So we will be there front and center and making sure that we can do everything we can to help people understand more about this mysterious insular and isolated, you know, $175 billion industry that they've never heard of before. amount of money that the scotland screen industry has made ever you know is probably eclipsed by one decent weekend for gta online so but no you know we're 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 delighted to you know support it we're delighted to celebrate it and and yeah there's far far more that we could do and again watch scottish games network website we've got a few ideas for you guys
0: and um the next panel i feel like we're just going to kind of gloss over this one a wee bit and apologies to David, Ramona and Robin because uh, and yeah and William for uh hosting it um because I feel like it's best if we should leave you to speak uh, to listen to them about it because they were speaking about games research and getting into games research and what like the importance of it and we can sit here and speak about it but we've said before that like we didn't even really understand the whole what like, the how big games research was until a few weeks ago and these guys have been working in it for years so i was trying to summarize what they're saying we're just not going to do it justice i feel like just pointing you in the direction of them is the best thing to do
1: well it was all kind of meta you know mm. it was games researchers talking about games research so uh, yeah i i would agree go and listen all of the all of the talks have been recorded they're all going to be appearing on the tinderbox collective website and we would absolutely recommend that you do uh, once the the festival is over we'll be doing a summary and uh, we'll post it on the scottish games network so we'll sign post it we'll link to it we'll do everything so you know keep your eyes open and as soon as we start seeing things appearing we'll bring them straight to you
0: um, and so we finished yesterday, which kind of takes us right up to date um, until you know this goes live, and then it's immediately out of date because there's another talk already started. Gabe, a uh, friend of the show and just all-round amazing person, spoke about parasocial. Hang on, Ryan. Hang on. Did yes, we, she did.
1: But but but. So we also had uh, the incredible Colin McDonald, who ran one of his games job live events towards the end of the afternoon from four o'clock to six o'clock and he pulled in some of the uk's heavy hitters you know the biggest studios out there sumo team 17 splash damage media tonic creative assembly and they were looking at um and ubisoft thank you very much indeed studio gobo there there was a whole bunch uh, uh, but they were looking at uh, internships graduate schemes traineeships what to prepare how to prepare and what to expect and and essentially uh, a beginner's guide to getting into the game sector um hugely popular when i when i checked in on youtube there you know there were several hundred people watching the stream so it's a fantastic new initiative from colin he's run a whole bunch of them very successfully not just in the uk but out across the world and and doing an, an awful lot to help people realize that you can have a an incredibly rewarding career in the games industry so fair play to him and he did that fantastically well uh, and then and then we also had the Creative Informatics Lab number 15, which was looking at um, performing arts and digital technology. And so pulled together an awful lot of uh, the people across Scotland who are either venues like the Traverse uh, Theatre, um, who were doing a lot with ticketing, a lot with online performance. So again, an incredibly rich and diverse range of people and uh, who are working in this kind of related area and it you know it comes back and, and, and ties in so neatly to the whole approach of the playway festival but uh, i i did i did that one guys it's and some really fascinating stuff coming out from the traverse in terms of you know it's it's all about new writers it's all about new talent but when you can't get people into the venue how do you actually interact and relate with them online so uh, I'm hoping that we'll get a chance to talk to those guys at some point in the near future as well because what they're doing is is just wonderful.
0: And now on to friend of the show and just all-around amazing person, Gabe Elvery. They appeared on the YouTube channel last week and they were speaking about their talk on parasocial relationships within video games and for people that don't quite uh they might not know what that is or you haven't checked out the video yet or you weren't at the event essentially a parasocial relationship is when you start where a piece of fiction sort of affects you in such a way that you start treating characters as if they're real people and you start to form yeah form a relationship with them where you know like, like and I think it can be both positive and negative from what I understand so you've got you know, Game of Thrones was an example. You know, you might have loved Jon Snow and thought Jon Snow was amazing and looked forward to seeing him every week, but then you might have hated Ramsay Bolton, and every time you saw him, your blood boiled. That, like, uh, yeah, that sort of depth was really interesting, like, brilliant to hear her speak about. And then uh, they spoke about parasocial breakup and the idea that not only do we form parasocial relationships with fictional characters, but also with real people. Like, I mean, I guess the most recent example would have been J.K. Rowling. And the idea that a lot of people, you know, built up this idea of who they thought J.K. Rowling was and almost started to form a relationship in their head with with her. And then recently, with, like, the things that she's been saying, it's been quite polarising and there's some people who are almost going through a grieving process in the same way that they would with, like, a friendship ending, or, like, yeah, a breakup, where you, yeah, like, you go through sort of some emotional torment, and that's quite interesting to think about in and of itself, and games are covering all of that within video games, which is just fascinating, and I can guarantee that almost everyone that's listening to this has played a video game and got emotionally attached to a character you know and so it's an incredibly relatable topic and just something i'd never thought about you know uh, i don't know about you guys
1: yeah it's it's one of these areas where we all too often we don't pay any attention to why we love some games why we love some characters why we you know, relate to to some particular um you know hero or heroine or npc and it's because of this this whole notion of parasocial attachment. And um, Gabe was, was incredibly interesting when it came to the ways in which we as the consumer, the audience, the player, um, can really form strong bonds. And, and again, it's, it's one of these things, that starting as a writer, as I did, it's not something that I had consciously been aware of, but it's certainly something that I think many more people within the games industry are going to have to Pay closer attention to because it um, as you're building more and more lifelike characters, as you have relationships with characters in games that can ex- you know encompass hundreds of hours, um, you're going to have to be a little bit careful. You know it it really opens your eyes to the power that you have to create the attachments, or you know to to potentially foster the the the, the breakup. Um, so again, just the whole session was was a joy, um, and from the actual presentation through to then going speed dating with actual ghosts, it was a delight. Yeah.
2: I think I think there's two parts parts as well that were interesting to me. Which was one the um, so Gabe spoke about how you know obviously games with characters that you are very invested in are more you know they're more likely to be successful and enjoyed by more people. I mean that's definitely the case and it linked back to something that dan pinchbeck was saying in, in his discussion which was that he 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 thinks that this kind of uh, uh, building of this connection and stories becoming more important in games and things like that are a huge part of us making them more accessible in in, in a mainstream sense like the fact that the last of us can be a thing that that has a sort of emotional depth that people can recognize from film and television and from other things is part of why we can begin to bring more people in so i thought that part was interesting but also back on this kind of like um uh parasocial breakup and these kind of difficult relationships i think the the thing that's so fascinating about researching that within games is that it's a safe space to try out this stuff right um with the jk rowling thing you have people you know that feel like it, it's difficult to to deal with that situation because they've become so attached to this person over time and you know they end up defending someone even though maybe the things that they're saying are not particularly <laughs> that defendable and um, if you can go through that relationship if you can simulate that relationship in a game and it can kind of give you the tools that you need to think through that process like that's huge if, if people can start to simulate that kind of difficult situation like the potential is huge i think
1: fantastic fantastic so so that kind of brings us to the end of week one mm-hmm. of of the playway festival we have an entirely uh fresh week coming up uh, events taking place over the weekend um rather than trying and, and summarize it because everything that we've seen so far has been incredible uh, but we've got workshops we've got panels we've got um, uh, we've got talks, presentations, we have live performances, a whole range of different things that are coming up over the next week. And if the last five days have been anything to go by, uh, whatever you tune into and whatever you decide to sign up for is going to be absolutely worth your while. And obviously, we'll link to the the, uh, the Playaway Festival, the Tinderbox Collective registration page in the show notes.
0: Yeah, um, so I reckon that 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 wraps us up i suppose uh for this short episode air quotes um because i feel like it's just going to turn out to be a regular episode but oh well uh, so uh, it leads us good uh, stuff to talk about well, it, it that's just, it
1: there was so much there was so much good stuff that that just doing a summary seemed to be you know an injustice yeah it's a, a testament
0: think, to how good the show yeah. is
1: yeah, I, I think one thing we should maybe call out is is the closing performance. You know, they, they started off with an absolute blinder with Jane McGonagall's keynote, but they're closing with something completely different. So, Ryan, would you do the honours?
0: Oh, of course. So, this week's Spotlight is Chipsal, or Niamh Houston. Uh She's a Northern Irish musician who has composed games such as Super Hexagon and Dicey Dungeons. Uh, she has. She also produces her own music, but most bizarrely and amazingly, she does it with a Game Boy. Like, she does it with several Game Boys. Well, several, ga- yeah. But like, it blows my mind. And I was listening to her on Spotify this morning. Again, link in the show notes for everything we speak about. Good, go listen to her. Like, it, it's so difficult. I always find it difficult to promote. Like musicians or artists, like you know, when I'm writing the freelance Friday without just going, here's their stuff, you know, because I can I can tell you how great and amazing their work is, but if you're not experiencing it yourself, you're just not getting it, and I feel like that's 100% it with Chipsol. Uh, so definitely check out Neve on uh, Spotify or any other platform that she's available on. So, yeah, that's our spotlight of the week. Just, there's your homework. In between the, uh, the playaway <laughs> sessions, just have some, whatever your music playing platform of choice is, on in the background, And just hit play on some chipsel tunes. Yeah.
1: And if you don't believe that somebody playing several Game Boys can absolutely kick butt and rock out with some, you know, really seriously old school chip tune, you are about to have your eyes opened and your mind blown yeah uh, she's phenomenal and and i'm really really looking forward to that it's i'm going to be getting the big speakers out for that one
0: 100 <laughs> percent. not only that it's a gig you know when was the last time you went to a gig i mean i know holy crap yeah december
1: 2019 mine that's too long man oh what was it uh murder capital it was murder capital at the vaults in edinburgh it was okay
0: Mines was... We, we thought about it the other day because, you know, Facebook has the memories thing. It was last Valentine's Day. A local music venue for us, uh, Krakatoa, was doing a battle, of the, like the final of their battle of the bands. A group of us all went down and, uh, and watched that and local band Bliss won it. Uh, big shout out to Bliss. They're great. Check them out.
1: <laughs> Check them out. But buy the Mogwai album.
0: Yes, so you've yeah. got we've given <laughs> you both. a nice sort of like sort of backlog of music to listen to this week. You've got Chipsol up top, and then Mogwai Bliss. Check them all out, definitely.
1: And and if you're if you're at all interested, game studies seriously. This yeah. this is it's the future.
0: Yeah, one hundred percent. It is sheer like insanity just how much is being covered in that field, and yeah. Just go check out all the, all the speakers from the Playway Festival because they all have very worthwhile things to say. Um, so yep. that wraps up this week of the Scottish Games Network podcast. As always, we've been your hosts. I've been Ryan. I've been Mr Bounce.
2: <laughs> and I've been Andrew.
0: Thank you ever so much for watching and we shall see you next week.